All right. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Stories of Selling Human podcast. I'm your host, Alex Smith, and I started this podcast because I truly believe everyone in the world will someday be faced with a situation, could be business, could be personal, that requires you to create change. I think we all want to be heard, seen, and understood. And the people who get our attention and convince, persuade, or influence us aren't just salespeople. There are great humans throughout all walks of life that we're drawn to. I'm going to share their stories here so that we can tap into what makes us human, practice our human skills, and ultimately, we'll all become better at selling by being human. All right, gang. So uh, I have an awesome person on the the, the uh, podcast this morning that uh, you know really impressed me through a TEDx talk that I uh, saw him deliver about a year or so ago. And this person uh, is an author. He's an author of a, a highly acclaimed book, Serve to Be Great, Leadership Lessons from a Prison, a Monastery, and a Boardroom, an awesome title. So there's a lot in that title that you're probably thinking, huh, I need to know more. Um, you know, over the last seven years, he's delivered hundreds of keynote uh, keynotes and training programs all over the world. Um, he works with Fortune 500 companies, associations, and universities. And uh, again, I'll put the TED talk that he gave uh, on leadership. It's viewed over 1 million times during the first 12 months. It was online. And, um, you know, the TED talk, it was on the importance of leading with love. And this, this is what this person does every day. He's also the CEO of a marketing company called The Generous Group. Um, and love is the type priority of the company. And based on love for their clients, the Generous Group has removed all fear related to investing in marketing and guaranteeing clients at least a five times return on their ad spend. Um, and however, the, the, the Generous Group prioritizes the well-being that's important of its employees over everything else. And I so agree. I am so privileged to welcome none other than Matt Tenney to the podcast. Welcome, Matt. Thanks, Alex. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thank you so much for giving us some time. There's a lot in that bio. I, um, I, I just love kind of, um, you know, where we're headed to today. So we, you know, I, I think I, you know, talk to you a little bit about this um, in the, in that uh, intro to the podcast. You know, we, it is about sales, but it's a different look at it in that we don't just bring on people that are cookie cutter sales managers or sales reps, even though there's a lot of those that we have on, we contrast them with people that are, um, you know, doing things that are really amplifying these human skills that I believe all of us have to really build these stronger, deeper relationships. And I really think we have the ability to do it with our clients in sales. So we'll talk about that. Um, but in the beginning, I just like to get to know, uh, have our guests get to know you. And, um, and so for those of, of, of our listeners that don't know you, I just want to ask you the first question is, um, in a different way about your background, I, I want to ask you just what do you hope people can learn from your life story. And that story is, you know, what really prompted you to write a book um, uh, that you did uh, around servant leadership. Yeah, well, I think there's, there's two things. Um, one is making the connection between what happens when we make love either the top priority in our lives or one of, our, one of the top priorities, how that's, I mean, anybody who has any type of, um, spiritual ambition you know this is very the common among all the world's religions right this is the core of developing spiritually but you know i think it's it's not too often used in the context of being successful professionally and so just helping people make that connection that there is there is a very direct 
connection between cultivating the ability to love better and actually doing it every day and how that affects performance professionally, particularly for leaders and for salespeople. I mean, I mean, it applies to everybody, but those two, it's the most obvious to me. And then second is just that this, these are trainable skills. You know, this, a lot of people hear the word love. And the first thing that comes to mind is a feeling, uh, you know, like, how do I like this person? We, we use this synonymous with, I like something, you know, I, I love cheeseburgers, you know, <laughs> like you're just, you're basically saying, I like something. You don't have to like someone. You don't have to like a person to love a person. You know, love is an action. It's a verb. And it's, to me, the, mo the most simple definition is just a deep concern for the well-being of the other. And at, at times that might be prioritizing the well-being of the other ahead of our own. At other times, it might just be an equal, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to give my life at, at this particular moment, but I, I see our well-being is equally important. Um, th that I think is kind of the, the minimum threshold, right? Is where we, we treat another human being as though their well-being is just as important as ours. In fact, we see the two as interconnected, as interdependent. Yeah, you know, it's it's so funny I, what you said. You don't have to like someone to love someone. I've, I've never heard it put that way. Um, but I, you know, I feel like that, um, you know, if 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 we kind of go into our just personal and business lives, knowing that, look, um, I you know, everyone has this inherent worth. Like my, 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 my dad, he raised me in the, our, a religion that most people don't really know too much about Unitarianism. So it's kind of like a catch-all tent for all religions. They teach you about Buddhism one day and Judaism and, um, you know, Christianity, but it's essentially like, you know, kind of, you know, celebrating the inherent worth and dignity of of all people, right? And like, so you can be like, you know, maybe we just don't vibe with that person. That person, you know, uh, I don't know, he, he or she isn't uh, my best friend, but I can still care for their well-being, you know? And that's so different than what most people think is love is just between, you know, a spouse or a family member. Um, but I'd love to know kind of, you know, how you see it played out uh, maybe in your personal life outside of your family, outside of your spouse and your children, um, how you see that people are uh, living that action of love. Um, yeah, well, I think that's an important point because, I mean, uh, this may even apply to you, and I don't mean this as, a, as an insult in any way. If, if this has happened, it's probably happened to all of us, but I, I'm sure, in fact, I would dare to guess that every one of us has done something to someone that we really care a lot about, a spouse, a child, a parent, you know, and w within a breath, we, we've done something that we wish we hadn't and, and it hurts them. And a breath later, we say, I love you. It's just simply not true. What we should be saying is, I want to love you, but I'm struggling to do it right now. You know, that would be the more authentic thing to say, because that's, that's what love actually is. It's, it's an actual doing. It's not a desire. I mean, it's not, you know, this feeling of, I just really like somebody. And even though I just treated you like garbage, I want you to know that I, I still care about you and I really like you. The proper thing to do would, would be to, well, how can I, how can I, change what I just did, you know, mm -hmm. uh, obviously the first step would be apologizing, right? And then, 
then figuring out, well, how, how can I rectify this situation? Um, so yeah, I think it, it's a pretty important distinction to me, you know, this idea between, um, saying that we love someone or seeing this as a feeling and actually doing it. And in the professional world, uh, I think again, both in terms of, uh, leadership and sales, it's absolutely instrumental and, and it plays out fairly similarly. Um, there's a lot, I think there's probably quite a bit more facets uh, in the, from the leadership side, because, you know, you could almost look at the, a true, a truly effective, a truly great leader is almost like a parent to a child, you know, a, a good parent, what do they want? They want their child to leave the house when they're 18 as a kind, compassionate human being who can solve problems on their own and be independent and go out and make the world a better place without the parent having to hold that child's hand anymore. That's there's a lot of work to creating that, right? Yeah. I think that should that's a similar definition to what an effective leader is doing. Yeah, one of the best definitions of leadership that I know of, or I, I guess maybe not a definition, but a metric for success is to look back at how long a person spent under your leadership and be able to say, be able to quantify how much they grew, how much they improved as a human being, both personally and professionally. That's the true, the true mark of a leader. Um, so there's a lot of ways it plays out in leadership. With, uh, with sales, I think it's a little bit more direct. You know, it's just, and it's, it's really fun too, because most people, when you start talking about sales, they immediately just have these negative perceptions, right? They think of immediately, it's some image of a used car salesman trying to hawk garbage on somebody. And, and of course, we all know there are salespeople that do that. Um, unfortunately, it's probably largely due to the misconceptions we have that have been beaten into our brains from movies and television shows and the variety of media that we consume. Uh, but that's not sales at all. You know, like effective sales and marketing is not creating a desire where one doesn't exist. Effective sales and marketing is uncovering a need and providing a solution, right? It's that yeah. simple. And so if you truly, if you truly love a person, i.e. you have their well-being uh, in, in mind and you are prioritizing their well-being equally to yours, what's the natural outflowing from that? It's to say, okay, well, I, I really want to understand this person's perspective because if I don't understand their perspective, I cannot take care of their well-being. I can't meet the needs that they have. So there's this natural, uh, both a desire and I think an ability if we if we're practicing love continuously, to really empathize with another person, understand what does that person need to thrive. Maybe just just in this in this conversation, but not not even to solve their business problem or whatever it is that you're selling, but just right now, what does this person need? So it could be just how sensitive you are to how you start a conversation with somebody over the phone. If you're doing phone sales, it could be how sensitive you are to engaging with somebody in their office place. If you're having an in-person meeting at their office, just right there, that that's that it's almost like this radar. That's just what is going to bring happiness to this person and not bring anxiety or additional stress. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I mean, you know, if, you know, it's so, so funny because, um, yeah, a lot of times, you know, and, and again, this is for people that are in sales that are not doing it every day. They don't even realize they're doing it. But like, you know, I think a lot of what I heard you say there was around just kind of like what your aim and intention are, intentions really are. And, you know, if, if it's just to get something today 
and and to win at all costs. Um, and 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 again, like that's uh, you you said it. It's been beaten into our head. Like like effective salespeople are people that win all the time, and they win because like uh, they're knowledgeable, or they win because they have a their gift of gab, or they can you know they just are they're 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 slick and they have an answer for every solution. But in in reality, um, you know, in my experience, the people that win the most are the people that. Um, they, they're able to attune themselves um, the most to what someone actually, uh, you know, it actually needs. And, and they actually, like you said, uncover it. They, they're, they're not actually to, looking to make a sale. They're actually just looking to make an understanding. <laughs> and and yeah, through that a, understanding a, could lead them to a sale or not, um, or not. But that's important to, to realize that their, their goals aren't to win the sale. It's to win the understanding of the person. Precisely. Yeah. And it's, it's almost like being a physician, you know, like if I just walked into your house and said, Hey, Alex, I think we need to remove your appendix without having talked to you, without having examined you, you're going to, you're going to say, you're crazy. I'm calling the police. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But we, but people presume that that's what you should do as sale in a, as a, salesperson yeah, yeah. is just, which is not true, but I think this is a common misperception that you should try to convince somebody of why they should do what you want them to do. Now, the people that you described that, and there are people that do this, uh, and they can be very good, but it's for a short time. And I'm sure you're aware of this and anyone that's in sales has seen these people. They end up changing industries every 12 to 24 months because after 12 months or so, they can't sell anymore in the market they're in. No one wants to deal with them anymore. So they need to either change cities, they need to change markets, they need to change industries, but they just, they'll, they'll crush it for 12 months and then they burn bridges everywhere they go and they can't do it anymore. Whereas the type of person who says, look, my objective here is to, to make a friend first and, and just really help this person however I can even if that means referring them to a competitor. Now that sounds absolutely crazy, right? Maybe, especially to somebody who's very new at sales, like this idea of, if I don't have the best solution, it's my duty to tell you. And if I know where the best solution lies, I should tell you that too. If you're thinking short-term, if you're trying to make a quota, that's, that's wrong thinking, right? But if you're thinking, well, four years from now, I'd like to be the salesperson who doesn't make cold calls anymore because all of my new business comes from referrals, then that's the type of decision you make. You say, well, look, my, my goal is not to sell you what I have. My goal is to understand what you need and help you get it, even if, even if it has nothing to do with me. And what happens is that person is a friend, for one. Um, and then two, if they might end up coming back to you later uh, with the solution that you have, but it doesn't even matter because even if they don't do that, I promise you that person is going to be a referral for you. <laughs> you know, they're going to say, I just met the most honest salesperson that I've ever talked to. Right. Yeah, and yeah. wow. I, if so, and they're just thinking, wow, anybody who actually could benefit from this person, I'm going to connect them. I completely agree. And I've found it in um, searching for a job too. Like I'm, um, when, when I got frustrated when I was like, man, I can't, you know, I, I, I should have a job by now. And like, I'm doing all the right things. And I'm like, I'm putting a process together. And like, my, my goal was the, the interview, my goal was the, 
third interview, my goal was the offer. And, and when I, when I so fixated on that one thing that I couldn't control, I could not control the Mm. offer. I could only control my actions to get the offer. When I was only focused on my success was the offer. My success was a lack of, you know, my success was uh, the interview. Then, you know, I wasn't getting very far, but when I said, look, let me just build trust and meet people and put out like just you know get get people to say huh this alex guy there's something here he's interesting he's kind you know be helpful it the offer came in the strangest of places it's strange it just was you know the least place i expected it was someone saying hey i know somebody that you might want to talk to here's an invitation to a here's a um uh, i'm gonna introduce you to the cro of this company you should Mm. meet and then that's and that's how it began um, but, you know, I want to go uh, like a little bef- I want to kind of um, pivot a little bit to kind of, you know, we talked a lot about selling in the sense of our clients and, and, and how to approach them and, and that sort of thing. I think things can actually, um, you know, sell us, um, you know, on, on certain changes with ourselves. Um, they could be events, people, sometimes objects and things like that. But you, you talk a lot about mindfulness. You talk a lot, I mean, just the title of your story about, you know, from, you know, prison to a monastery and all these things. So I feel like you yourself went through this transformational life change, you know, and you had, you know, a certain goal set um, for yourself um, before kind of getting off track a little bit. So I'm, I'm, I'm wondering for you, like, were, were there things that you saw um, you know, what were some of the greatest catalysts in your life to like, kind of like sell you on, on kind of a reason to do things differently? And, and why do you think those, those were? <laughs> well, yeah, it's a deep like question, a good, but I think a good kick in the shin to change behavior <laughs> sometimes. <you know? laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just, um, I, there's a lot of qualities about me that like how I'm wired naturally mm-hmm. that make me compel me to do the opposite of what we're talking about. So this has been for anyone who feels like, Oh my gosh, this just sounds like I could never do this. You can, um, it it just takes practice and it takes time. Uh, but you certainly can. And I may be a great walking case study because I am wired to be probably a borderline egomaniac and, uh, just very type a very, goal-driven, very impatient. And all of that kind of came together um, in this melting pot of conditions when I was, uh, this is about 20 years ago, um, when I was 24. And uh, I just decided I'm going to take a shortcut to success. And I half-heartedly attempted a fraud against the U.S. government. And there, I didn't do much. I, I mean, I, I did some things that were dishonest and stupid. I forged a couple documents uh, but because it, on paper, it was almost, uh, $3 million. There were some mm. pretty hefty consequences here. So mm. I actually abandoned the attempt and realized there's no way I could go through with trying to take money from the U S government. Uh, but I had taken enough steps through forging some documents and, uh, impersonating somebody. And, um, I was guilty of an attempted fraud and that's the same thing as doing it. So mm. I ended up spending five and a half years confined to mm. a prison as a result of being both dishonest and stupid. And at first it was the worst thing that ever happened to me because I mean, I was just so self-focused and 
I just, it was just a big pity party. And I, um, I mean, I was suicidal for like a good two weeks where I just had thoughts of killing myself because I was in essentially solitary confinement for the first six months. Um, and yeah, just, uh, all, all of these problems that result from being egocentric were exacerbated. It was made much worse. Um, but yeah, very fortunately for me, it ended up becoming the best thing that ever happened to me about a year into my time in confinement. I started learning about this simple way of training the mind called mindfulness practice. And this is where being type A kind of had an advantage when something makes sense to me, I just do it. And I just do it hundred percent. And so I was just within a few weeks, I was integrating mindfulness into almost everything that I was doing about six months later, I noticed that I was making the effort to be mindful during just about every waking moment of the day. And it was right around that time where it just hit me. Oh my gosh, I'm happier right here in a prison with nothing than I'd ever been in my entire life. And so this inspired me to go deeper with the practice. And I'd been learning principally from monks, you know, people who devote their entire lives to training their minds in this way. And what they were, what they taught me was working like a charm so far. So I said, all right, let's just go all the way. So I, I actually essentially ordained as a novice monk while I was confined. And I spent the last three and a half years living and training exactly as monks live and train um, along with an, another inmate who did the same thing. We kind of supported each other in our practice. Um, so what that essentially amounts to is just training the mind for hours and hours and hours every day and living even more simply than anyone else was in confinement. So I'm not consuming any entertainment or anything like that. It's just completely focused on ultimately being of service to others. That's what, what I guess there was two big shifts that came from that practice. You know, one of them, as I already alluded to, was the realization that we don't need anything outside of ourselves to be happy. It's all a function of how the mind works. But the other big shift was that the monastic um, ideal at its core is about giving up our own short-term self-interest to be a benefit to others. So you give up entertainment, you give up good food, you give up all these things to find peace within yourself so that you can thereby transmit that peace to other people and serve others more effectively. Um, and that, I just found this resonance and I don't know where it came from, but it was just like, this is what life is about, <laughs> you know, but life at its essence is about being of service to others, loving well. And so cultivating the ability to love and serve well was my top priority then. And it has been ever since. So I don't, I don't, uh, and I'm not a monk anymore. I'm married with two kids, but um, you know, the, the, pra the heart of the practice is still there. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's what kind of compelled me to change. And, uh, you know, mindfulness can almost be, it's almost a synonym for self-awareness. And I just become more and more aware of all of my egotistical traits. And again, I borderline egomania. And that's kind of what I would say, if I were to sum up everything we're talking about here is there's this spectrum of to what degree we're identified with the ego and somebody who is never, ever identified with the ego as being them. They just see it as like, ah, this is just something that happens. That's a person that's going to be incredibly effective <laughs> at whatever they're doing um, and very happy and at peace as well. And then the converse is also true. As you go down the spectrum, the more identified we are with this false sense of self called the ego, the worse, the worse we're going to do because everything's about me and the more everything's about me, the less anyone wants to have anything to do with you.
at least not for long. (laughs) I know. Yeah. It's, you know, sometimes hard for people to, to, you know, salespeople too. I, what you just described sounds like a lot of people I know in sales, like you would think, okay, like you have to be like type a sales. That's the the most successful people, people that are super goal driven, that are like super determined and super like go, go, go all the time. And, you know, they're, they're focused. Right. Um, But they can also be focused for the wrong things sometimes, like, yeah. you know, and it's, it's about why you're so focused and some, and, 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 and it, and it, and it happens sometimes unconsciously, you're just talking about like, you know, what you've done, uh, maybe your messaging and stuff like that is talking about what the company's done and the success that the company has had and building credibility and, you know, messaging around, like being the yeah, best. Nobody and cares about that. Nobody cares about all that, like all the PowerPoints. And if you've, if you're a buyer, you've, you've witnessed PowerPoints that talk about, uh, you know, shows your, 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 you know, shows a global map and like the countries you're in and the, the logos, everyone, you know, in sales, it's all about, you know, what new logos and it's great to have logos. Um, but people don't care about that logos. Like why did they, they care more about why, those logos bought from you than, than who the logos are, you know? And so, you know, I'm, you know, if we're, we're talking just about like it, it itself, uh, sales itself, you know, what are some things that you would hope would, um, you know, kind of be brought into sales teams? Cause you know, if you look at your resume, you, you do have like, um, some experience leading sales teams. I saw, I was reading a HuffPost article. You were talking, we're talking about, you know, you know, things that you're thinking about in the future, writing more about this topic because, you know, it's mostly about leadership. And I think leadership is, you know, sales and leadership for me are kind of really synonymous terms because, you know, again, best leaders are, are, are just, they're putting their employees first uh, above all else. They serve them. And mm-hmm. as salespeople, we serve customers. We're nothing right. without them. So, so, you know, talk a little bit about how you view you know, service in, in the context of, of sales, what, that, what should that look like um, to you? Sure. Well, there's a couple of things I'd like to address based on what you said too. Um, you, so one is this idea, I think you hit it right on the head when you're saying leadership and sales are synonymous to some degree. Certainly the, the essence of both is the same. If you think about what makes a great leader and what makes a great salesperson? It's the exact same thing. It's the ability to effectively influence others, right? So if, and then that begs the question, well, how do you build influence with something? Because influence is different than coercion. You can coerce somebody if you have power or if you're just the loudest person in the room, but that doesn't last very long and it, it erodes trust and it's really harmful in the long term. Influence, however, um, is very healthy. If you have influence with somebody, it's because they are willingly following you. And can you think of any better way to build influence with someone than to demonstrate to them that you truly care about them? If you think about the people who have the most influence in your life, like think about somebody who, if they called you at 12 o'clock in the morning saying they needed your help two cities away, you'd be there the next morning or right away. Who are those people? Those are the people who have shown you the most care, right? And you just, you want to reciprocate. So yeah, it, it influence is, is definitely, um, it's the heart of both leadership and sales. Now, and, but I did want to talk about, you, you had mentioned this, um, you know, this seeming paradox, right? Of 
it seems like the most effective salespeople are the ones who are out there hustling the most and they're the most gregarious. And now you're, you're partly right, um, to my knowledge. So I was just actually reading some research, uh, on Harvard business review on the seven, you know, researching thousands and thousands of salespeople with personality tests. What are the traits that are most important and achievement drive is definitely one of them. But here's, here's the interesting thing is people often think, and this is why sales compensation is so screwed up is because people think that what's going to get you to sell the most is the most money. And they think the best salespeople are motivated by money. And it's simply not true. Now, of course, money doesn't hurt. People should be compensated well, but what's going to give you the most drive of anything is understanding that you are truly being of help to another human being. And there's good data, there's good research on this. If for any of you who have not read Adam Grant's first book, it's called Give and Take. It is a fabulous read. And he just talked about this simple example of these people in college trying to raise funds and what they did to dramatically increase their call volume. It was simple. They had people who had received grants from the college come in and talk about how it changed their life. Their call volume went through the roof. Their close ratio went through the roof. Uh, I have a personal example about this. So the last job that I had um, was, as, as you mentioned, it was as a sales manager before I became a full-time entrepreneur. And um, you know, I, I worked my way up and started off as just inside sales like everybody else. And I sat down and I thought, you know, why, why am I picking up the phone? This was actually influenced by Simon Sinek and his first uh, TED talk on start with why, but I, I, I wanted to have a clear articulation of why am I picking up the phone to call people? And what we were selling was deregulated natural gas. So it occurred to me, okay, this is an expense. These people have to pay. We're calling businesses. They have to pay their, their natural gas bill. They're going to have to do it. In many cases, we would be able to help them save a significant amount of money and this was back during the Great Recession. This was 2009. Um, and it occurred to me that I could literally save somebody's business by picking up this phone. Because if they're paying, let's just say it's you know $1,000 a month when all they have to pay is 500, this could literally be the difference between them having to fire their last employee or shut their doors or whatever the case may be. So I consistently led our call center and outbound call volume. Um, and I consistently outperform some of the outside sales reps in terms of margin sold. And I attribute it primarily to that. I had that right on my desk. Why am I picking up the phone? Because I could save a business. And so that I, you're more resilient when you think that way. You, you hear no, I could hear no 50 times in a row and just say, sorry, I couldn't help that person, but I'm going to help this next one. Bling and call them, right? <laughs> and so the reason I'm going to a little bit of detail here is because this actually came true. So about a year and a half after I started there, I got this um, email, I think it was, out of the blue from a client that I had talked to the previous winter and helped them get off a default rate. They were on a default rate, which was really high. And they ran a chicken farm, and this is in Georgia. So they're, their bills in the winter are astronomical heating these these chicken coops for them, for a farmer. I mean, for a large business, it's nothing, but for them, it's, you know, five, $10,000 a month. And I got this email saying, Hey, Matt, can you give me a call? And I, I remembered, I remembered the person, it was the wife of the farmer who owned the business. And so I called her and she said, Matt, I just, 
and I could hear her voice trembling. She said, I just have to, I had to tell you, you saved our chicken farm. Like we did the math. Had you not called us and got us off of that rate with this terrible energy company, we would have gone out of business and lost our farm. And I just thought, whoa, <laughs> you know, like it's actually true. <laughs> you know? wow, yeah. And I, I promise that for every sales position, there is that type of why. If you just do some mining for it, you can find that type of why. Why are you bothering to make sales calls? And I'm telling you, if it's about the money, you're going to burn out pretty fast. But if it's about how are you changing the lives of other people? Oh, man, it, it just it will, you'll be lit up all the time as long as you can remember that. Yeah. Yeah. No. How, how are you changing their lives? How are we making the world a better place? Um, you know, thinking so much outside of yourself like that, you know, I imagine like, that's uh, what you think about, like, you're not thinking about like, okay, like what's mine, how much can I get for this next speaking engagement? Like you have to support your family, but I think like what really gets you through the work, the, the hardest days is like, you know, I need to do this because I'm living this purpose because, you know, someone down the line and, and, and it may not be, be because of you, but you know, that like, you know, you're, you may not have like the absolute answer in someone's life, but it's, it's maybe one that, that, you know, could be, and, and why not it, it be you, I guess you could say sort of thing like, and, um, you know, view it like that. And it's so true. I, I feel like I've always, you know, whenever I've thought, okay, like what, what's, what am I, what, what, what am I really doing here? And, and what is my real purpose? And even I'll start saying it, like you, you were saying, I've heard you say like mantras and when you were confined, you'd say mantras or, or in the monastery, right? The monastery teaches you these, these phrases to say over and over. So they're just ingrained. So you start, when you start talking, you don't, you don't say things like we're going to, you know, we're going to help you get to 15% growth. It's, you know, we really believe that this is why we design things this way. And it's because of this is why we're on this call here today. If that's something that you believe in too, let's talk in, let's talk further, but it's more about, again, you know, why you're doing it as opposed to what you've done uh, in the past. Yeah. I think you people. can be, I think you can be somewhat unskilled yeah. And if you have your why right, you're going to be better off than somebody who's really skilled. But the, the other person can sense from 15 feet away that this person's just out for themselves. Yeah. You can smell it. I mean, it's like it, the silly example I use when I would train our new salespeople is like, imagine if you imagine back to your college days and, you know, you think about whenever you were single. It was like, you couldn't get a date to save your life, right? You would go and you would talk to someone of the opposite sex or, or same sex if you're, if, if you're yeah. uh, gay and whoever you're talking to, you know, and you just couldn't get a date because there was this energy of you needed it, right? Yeah. But then as soon as you were dating somebody, you would go out and it was like people were throwing themselves at you. You know, <laughs> I, I remember just personally, like, I remember feeling like I had one eye in the middle of my head for the longest time. And then as soon as I started dating uh, this young lady in college, um, all of a sudden it was just my confidence went up. I didn't need it. When I was talking to somebody, I was just there for them. I was just there to listen to them. I didn't, need, I didn't want anything from them. 
And I would go out to, you know, a club with my guy friends on one night, I'd come home with like six phone numbers. <laughs> you know? I didn't even ask for them. It was yeah. just like, that's, it was just this different yeah. energy. Yeah. It's exactly yeah. the same in sales. You know, yeah. if, if people can sense you need to hit a quota, you hmm. need to make the sale. Hmm. It is repulsive. Hmm. And it, it, and it's, it's, it's a felt sense that is a repellent. It's like insect repellent. You know? yeah. I mean, it's, but conversely, if somebody senses, and you can, you can, it, it's, it's visible too, like in body language, you know, if you, you can tell somebody who's content and, and, and this is just from the sales perspective, every salesperson knows this, what happens the day you hit quota, if you get back on the phones or you go out and make sales calls, you just start crushing it, right? Everybody, this has happened to everybody. It's like, if you make, if you make quota, you know, for the month, like, you know, two weeks early, it's just like you have your biggest month ever because every sales call after that, you're like, I don't, I don't, I don't need, need this. Don't care. This isn't yeah. for me. Yeah. I, I'm just, I'm just here to help you, you know? Yeah. And you don't even have to say that people just sense it, you know? Yeah. yeah. You know, it's so true. I want to get into some, you know, before you go, maybe some, some tactical stuff and that help people maybe kind of challenge them as they leave this thing. But you know, what you just said, it, it kind of just to kind of, um, you know, kind of put a, pull a thread is when I saw your book, you know, kind of served to be great. Um, there was a quote and, and what you were talking about um, is my, I have a, uh, a guy that um, I follow Larry Levine, who's wrote, wrote a great book about, um, you know, kind of the um, selling with heart it's called. And it's, and he, had, he, he, he shares a quote that I think you said that um, um, really helped you kind of title your book. And it was a Martin Luther King Jr. Quote. Mm. And it was like, Every and I had to write this down to say it perfectly right. So it is for all of you, gang. This is an awesome quote. It's just everyone, everybody can be great because anybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make a subject and verb agree to serve. You only <laughs> need, and certainly I don't, I can't do that all the time. You only need a heart full of grace and a soul generated by love. And I know I think when I think about that, some people go, hmm, man, Alex, that sounds great. Like, what is a soul generated by love? How do I do that? What do I do? And what are some like easy things I can do to serve? And maybe it's, you know, changing your mindset. But I'm wondering, Matt, like if you could give people some, you know, some, some, maybe some things to, to think about, maybe some small tips in their day. These are for train. I, I always ask people this question. So tips for the the person who knows it all, they're like you said, they've been in sales for 25 years and they've jumped around, maybe they've crushed it. And they're just, you know, hey, I'm I'm doing, I'm doing just fine. I know, I know everything about sales. So the trained salesperson, and then for the person who who isn't in sales, they're maybe just going about their day, but but yet they're faced with these situations, like I believe we all are, that they need to, you know, influence people. What are some maybe tips, uh, maybe some advice that you give both groups of people, if they're similar, if they're somewhat different, anything that you would challenge them to do? It's, it's the same. I mean, that, that's the beauty of, you know, it, someone who's not in sales or maybe is a novice salesperson thinks, oh, it's, it would take years to be as effective as this person. And I'm sure many, you might agree with this too, Alex, but how many times have you seen a new salesperson come in and just absolutely sell the roof off their first quarter? Why? Because they don't know a doggone thing. And it's precisely because they don't know a doggone thing that they sell so well. They're not trying to 
convince the person what they know. They're just asking really good questions, yeah. you know, and that, so the, the things, if you look at, um, John Wooden is probably the best example of this, but you know, there's so many ways that you could talk about this, but so many people think like there are, there has to be these advanced tactics to be really high level with something. I disagree. I think it's all about mastering the fundamentals, which most people fail to ever do. And then they gloss over the fact that they've failed to master the fundamentals with a bunch of showy stuff that works for a short time, but not for very long. Whereas if you would just take the time to master the fundamentals, you can do really well. Like for anyone familiar with John Wooden, this guy, when he coached college basketball players, these were almost to a T the best players in the country coming out of high school. And the first practice always started the exact same way. Here's how you tie your shoes. Imagine you're Kareem Abdul-Jabbar <laughs> coming out of UC or coming to UCLA, and the guy tells you you're the best basketball player that God's ever created at the time. And the guy tells you, I'm going to show you how to tie your shoes. Yeah, here's how to put on your socks. Yeah. yeah, here's how you put on your socks so you don't get blisters. And he would explain to them why. He's like, hey, you may be the best thing since sliced bread, but if you get blisters on your feet, you're not going to play defense well. You're not going to cut the same when you try to drive down the lane. We might, you might miss a game. You know, like putting on your socks right and putting on your shoes right is really important. And then, of course, they progress the passing and free throws and defense. But Wooden was known for not only loving his players, but also for just crushing the fundamentals. So I think one huge fundamental um, is having that clear, it could be rewriting your job description, it could be writing your why, but as silly as this seems, once you've got it written down and, and really putting it in the perspective of, my job is not to sell this, or my job as a husband is not to convince my wife to do what I want. My job is to serve this person, to do whatever I can to enhance their well-being. And what happens is when you start reading that over and over and over again, you should read it every day, probably three, four times a day for a while, and then every day forever after that, at least once a day. But what happens is it, it literally starts opening your brain to possibilities that you never would have seen otherwise. It's like the new car phenomenon. You know, you, you buy a new car and all of a sudden you start seeing that car everywhere. Why is that? It's not because all of a sudden you, you made it cool and everyone bought the car. It, there's literally a part in your brain. I forgot what it's called. Um, uh, I don't remember what it's called, so I'm not going to give it a guess right now. And, you and his wife is in, uh, you know, neuro. Oh, actually neurology, I do remember right? it's, okay. it's the reticular formation. Ah. It's, it's sole job. Uh, it, there's some other parts involved in this, but the soul, this soul, these sole components of the brain, their job is to eliminate unnecessary information. So anything right. your yeah, brain yeah. deems is yeah. not important. It eliminates it. So you don't overload your conscious mm -hmm. awareness. It's very important. Unfortunately, if you don't think loving your customer or loving your spouse, i.e serving them, understanding what they need, helping them get their needs met, your, your brain is going to automatically filter out opportunities for you to do that. Conversely, if you reprogram your brain to be always thinking about what my, what, what is my core job? My job is to help the person in front of me. This is what life is about. How do I help this person to be happier and to thrive? That's that simple. If you, if that becomes your habit of mind, you start seeing opportunities everywhere. 
And it just flows from there. Now you start asking better questions because if you really want to help somebody, you have to diagnose their problem first, right? I can't help you if I don't know what's wrong. Mm -hmm. So naturally what flows out of that is instead of me talking all the time, which is what some salespeople do. They talk 80% of the time and listen 20. It Many. should be the converse. <laughs> it should be the only time I'm talking when I'm doing an interview with a new client is to ask them questions. That's it for like the first 90% of the call. And then at the, and, and so what I'm doing is I'm uncovering their pain. I'm asking them how painful is it? What happens if you don't fix this pain? And it's not that I want to force my solution. I might really want to know. And usually they just sell themselves when you ask the right questions. But it's not coming from a place of coercion and trying to get them to do something. It's I really care. I want to know like what's going on and how painful yeah. is it? And what happens yeah. if you don't fix it? Totally. Yeah. So uh, that I would say is, is the core is having that very clear, uh, take some time to articulate a new job description or a new why for what you're doing repeat it every day. Um, and then you could also form the habit of anytime you interact with anybody, because these skills, these are learned, they're called implicit skills, which means you can't learn them by reading a book. You have to do the behaviors because they're learned in the parts of the brain that don't process language. So a simple habit, this is super helpful for me, is anytime I interact with anybody inside my head, I'm thinking, how can I help this person? That's the first thought that comes to mind. And I did that until it just becomes habit. Where I don't even think it now. It's just a felt sense. What can I do to make this person smile? Like I travel a lot for speaking engagements. I do things like I'll go up to the, to the desk at the airport that's not even my gate. It's just a gate that, that this person can do nothing for me. And I'll go up yeah. to the ticketing agent and I'll just say, hi there. And they'll say, how can I help you? And I'll say, I don't need anything. I just wanted to see how you're doing. How are you? And it, they're just, it's like, what? Their brains just blow up because no one has ever done that before. Wow. Right? Or, you, you know, you stop by the person taking the trash out of the, you know, the airport trash can. How are you doing? It's just, just little things like that. And I can tell you in some of the biggest sales you'll ever make, that stuff matters. How you treat the person at the front desk matters. I mean, it matters in the grand scheme of life, no matter what, but in terms of truly winning a client, how you treat the receptionist matters. In fact, I know a company that will terminate an interview based on how you treat the, the receptionist when you came in for the interview. You could be a Harvard MBA with a 4.0 and the greatest thing since sliced bread, if you're rude to the receptionist, she has the authority to come in and in interrupt your interview and say it's over. And the hiring manager will immediately stop asking you questions and ask you to leave. Wow. Yeah, that's putting their so this, mission are, where they're, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this is, uh, it's, it's not just the right thing to do, but it's highly practical for being successful. Totally. Yeah. I, you, you gave me something to do just then, you know, I, I go up sometimes, uh, to the, uh, the gate agent, not working my gate to try to help me a lot of times. And, and I'm like flustered at like, what, you know, what you can't, you have a computer, like they can't, Oh, you know, they don't want to get into the computer to help you for a flight. They're not working, but a lot of, a lot of the best ones will. And I, and I do it just like, you know, Hey, I really need some help here. Can you, you know, help me out? But you know what, I'm, I'm going to go just try like doing that. Cause like a lot of times they're flustered. They're, they're getting another flight ready. They don't know. And, um, but like they're there for the customers, but like sometimes they themselves are so like, laser focused on just a task instead of 
why am I here altogether? You talked about like, you know, Disney and janitors and like having a problem with janitors, I think on a podcast and, you know, that, you know, a lot of uh, Disney was complaining about janitors. Well, it was because the job description just said, pick up trash instead of exactly care for, uh, uh, you know, um, our, our guests. And it's like, when you think of it that way, it's like, okay, just care for people and watch like, you know, when you don't need it to come back to you, watch as it does. Cause they'd be like, you know, as you're talking like, great, well, where are you headed? Oh, I'm headed to Tampa. Okay. Like you want me to help you, you know, uh, do you need any help with your flight? Well, actually like now that you say that maybe I do, can you look at, you know, help? absolutely. Because they're like, nobody's taking the time out to see me again. Like people want to be heard, seen, understood. Like when you see people, people go out of their way to give back to you. And I think that's kind of what, you know, you've been saying throughout the, the time today. Yeah. Well, you know, just bringing it back to practicality, uh, you know, it, most salespeople have to navigate getting through a gatekeeper. Yeah. Right. And that's how it's viewed. How do I get through the gatekeeper? It's, you it's, know what a good salesperson thinks? How do I make this gatekeeper smile? Yeah. How do I bring joy to this gatekeeper? Because nobody does that during the day. What do you think you get all day if you're a gatekeeper? I need to talk to so-and-so. Can you patch me through to so-and-so? Hello, I'm calling for so-and-so. What if you just said, <laughs> this is kind of my standard. You know, so they answer the phone. Hello, this is blah, blah, blah. Well, hi, Susan. Happy Tuesday to you. Yeah. How yeah. are you? How have you been? Like, yeah. I'm you like, know, there's been how studies. I, how yeah. can I help you? Yeah. Well, I, I'm not sure, but I'm just curious how you're doing. <laughs> like, what yeah. do you want? <laughs> you yeah, know? yeah. Yeah, no, there's been studies, um, Gong, they're a call, call recording software company. They do, uh, you know, people used to say like, okay, do you have a minute to chat? Do you, did I catch you at a bad time? And that kind of evolved. And instead, you know, the best way is just like catching people with this interruption of, you know, just how have you been? Because it's a pa total pattern interruption in the brain. You're like, I guess, okay. Like, how are you? Oh, great. <laughs> I'm so happy that you asked. Or you could be like, I mean, like I've been doing, I've had better days. I mean, there's, it's a pandemic and all, but like, you know, and I'm, uh, I have two kids that are like pulling at my legs right now, but other than that, I'm doing quite well. And, and they may go, no kidding. Like uh, that happened to me the other day, or that's, you sound a lot like me and you start talking. Like I've had great conversations just off of that one question. How are you doing? Or have you, have you been um, people? Cause people will, will say, you, you know, you just, people will tell you something interesting about them and all of a sudden now you're talking you're off to the races um matt i could certainly talk to you for a long time um you know and uh we we make these things about an hour um i kind of end off on something fun about you um just to kind of um bring it home and that like every unique person has their own way about them and and um you know connecting with others and so this is a fun question about you so it's just to, to, to end off, um, what is something that could only and would only happen to Matt Tenney? And maybe think of it like if your wife or your kids, you know, said, you know, something was like, you know, man, that thing is like totally Matt, that would only happen to Matt. And, you know, maybe these things can help us relate and connect to you as well. <laughs> it would only happen to me, huh? Uh, Certainly your story is one that would only happen, you know, that, that seems like something that's so unique, your, your yeah. background, but maybe there's something like, that's just like, you know, something unique about you. That's like, you know, you know, or maybe an event, something that happened to you. That's like, Oh my gosh, that would probably not happen to anybody else. Well, um, this is hard because it's, uh, and I don't 
I don't mean to share this um, in a way that's like self-promoting or bragging or anything like that, but ho hopefully it's it's just one more reminder of kindness. Um, but you know, I, I could see one of the things that I do when I'm traveling is I'm often in big cities and I often get asked for money from people. And I very rarely give money, although I sometimes do. Um, but I will never leave somebody without asking if what they need. And I, I always get some variance, but a good 80, 90% of people say, well, I just need something to eat. And I will never leave somebody without offering to buy them something to eat. So I could see, you know, me uh, getting caught on some video or something, having dinner with a homeless person that just literally looks like they crawled out of a sewer in a restaurant yeah. and uh, saying my, my wife and kids saying, oh yeah, that's why he's late. He misses playing because he's having dinner with some with some homeless person. <laughs> that is amazing. Oh my goodness. Um, I, I, I want to, uh, oh man, I have so many questions now, but I can't ask them. Um, I'm going to end Do you have a second that. for a quick story to tie this yes, up? Yes, go ahead. Let's do it. Let's do it. One of the most touching moments of my life, actually. So I was, um, I was doing a, a mindfulness retreat in Philadelphia, actually, with a awesome. good friend of mine and a, a very well-known teacher named Michael Carroll. And, um, you know, we, we were taking a break for lunch and I was walking back to my hotel and this man who was probably six, six, 300 plus, um, black man asked this, the question, Hey, um, can I, can I have five bucks? And I said, what, what would you like? And he's literally sitting in front of uh, McDonald's. I think it was either McDonald's or Burger King. Mm -hmm. I always mm -hmm. conflate the two. Sorry mm -hmm. for those of you yeah. who work for those companies, but, um, he said, man, I just, I just want to, I just want a cheeseburger. And I said, well, I'll go, I'll go in and get you a, um, I'm sorry. He just uh, he said, I want a hamburger. And I said, Oh, no problem. I'll go in and get you a hamburger. And he said, Oh, but just could, could you get cheese on it? And I said, yeah, man, no problem. I'll get cheese on it. So I go in and I, I just buy him hamburger and fries and, and I come out and I hand him the bag and I'm just talking to him, you know, asking him his name, how's he doing And it? He's kind of half paying attention and he opens up the thing. And he, he has tears in his eyes all of a sudden. He looks at me and he says, you put cheese on it. And I said, yeah, man. And he just reached out and gave me this huge bear hug. And I noted before he did that, that he had vomit on the front of his shirt from the night before. And I just couldn't. I mean, normally I'm just such a germaphobe and like, I hate stuff like that. But this man just had the sweetest smile and tears in his eyes offering this hug. And I just had to give him a hug. And uh, yeah, it was just to see the joy in his eyes, just for the simple fact that I heard him and put cheese on it, just made me think, you know, it's, this is all we need in this world. We, we just need to hear people just really be there for them, be present for them and hear them. And that, that's really all that it comes down to. It's not about the cheese. It's about what the cheese meant. And uh, <laughs> yeah. if we could end off on that, what a great way to end off. Matt, Tenney, um, where can people connect with you and just find you, um, you know, after this and, and, and learn more about you and, and, and read your work? I'm pretty Googleable, So you just okay. put Matt Tenney into Google. T-E-N-N-E-Y. <laughs> you'll find all types of fun stuff. <laughs> nice. You know, you, you get um, 
good guess when you when you they're Googleable. And his information gang will be in the show notes and LinkedIn and his website and all that stuff. And for all of that and your great stories, Matt, I just want to say thank you so much for giving us some time and 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 having the conversation today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks a lot. Hey gang. All right. Wow. You made it to the end. I know your time is valuable. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for spending your time here with me. If you heard a quote you liked, got a quick bit of value, or you have an idea that can help convince others to join, I urge you to take a minute and leave a five-star rating and review. That helps us gain influence and bring some really great guests on to add even more value to you and others. You can also always contact me directly to tell me your thoughts. I'd love to hear from you. All my info is in the notes. Let's help convince anyone that they have the ability to sell well just by being great humans. And this podcast is proof. All right. See you on the next episode of Stories of Selling Humans.